Amen. Bring greetings back from two of our college students, both Kendall and Caleb. Got to briefly see Kendall for just a, a moment uh, yesterday and uh, saw Caleb for a little bit. Becky and I went over yesterday and came back today. It was a, just a quick trip, but uh, they're doing well and uh, continue to pray for them in their studies. They appreciate all the, the messages that you send, the text messages, um, messages through the social media, and just a reminder that they're thought of and prayed for back here, which we know that they are. During the course of our time over there, uh, Becky and I had a chance to, to meet with uh, uh, one of the gentlemen that's in Caleb's church, and just asking him to share his testimony. I won't go into the whole detail because it's a, a very lengthy testimony. It's a beautiful testimony, but he was talking at one point where um, he, he picked a verse in a religion class that he was in as a young man because he had to write on it. And so he, he, he picked this verse out of Ecclesiastes, and his teacher then wrote back on his little card, his note card, saying, I'll be interested to see what you have to say. This verse in Ecclesiastes is the most disputed verse in all of the book, according to commentators. So immediately intimidated him a little bit. But he just did the right thing. Rather than make it academic, he began to pray. Lord, reveal to me. Help me to really understand this, that it's not just an academic process of coming up with the answer to what this verse is talking about. But I'd like this to mean something for the rest of my life. And the verse that he picked it was the verse that talked about how the Lord puts eternity in, their, in people's hearts and what exactly that means. And it is a highly contested uh, meaning in commentaries as you go from one book to the other. But he shared about how he, he was going through some life experiences, and as he was in the middle of one experience, it's like the Holy Spirit struck him and said, that's your verse right there. What you're going through right now, that's your verse. And it was just like the light bulb moment turned on to him. And he realized, you know, he could have dug through book after book after book, spent hours, and, and maybe had gained some ground. But he realized there, there needed to be that, that opening of understanding that only God could bring to him. Do you ever feel like sometimes that you're a little thick spiritually, a little dense spiritually? I have found myself that way, and I get quite ashamed of the fact that I think, oh, Lord, I've, I've been saved since I'm 12 years old. I'm 52 now. I've been, you know, a believer this long. I ought to know better. I ought to be able to figure this out. I shouldn't find myself in this kind of quandary at this point in my life. And, and yet, we see that this exact same thing happens to the disciples. I want us to look tonight at Mark chapter 8, verses 14 through 21 tonight. Because you see the Lord challenging and teaching his followers on this very same issue about why don't we understand? In fact, that's really the question that he asked them in the very last verse that we'll look at tonight. But let me just begin reading at verse 14 of Mark chapter 8. He says, Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, neither had they any in the ship with them more than one loaf. And he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It's because we have no bread, physical bread. And when Jesus knew it, 
knew what? Knew what they were talking about. Of course, he knows everything. But when he took thought of that, he saith unto them, Why reason ye because ye have no bread, physical bread? Perceive ye not yet? In other words, that would be us to say in the vernacular today. Don't you catch on yet? Don't you get it? Neither understand? Have, and then he says something, it sounds kind of very stern, doesn't he? Have ye your heart yet hardened? Having eyes, see ye not? And having ears, hear ye not? And do ye not remember? Now he's asking these as questions, but aren't they really sort of accusations at the same time? I mean, he's asking these things, implying, yes, this is what I see to be true of you. You've got eyes, but you're not, you're not really seeing. And you've got ears, but you're really not listening. And you're not remembering certain things. Verse 19, when I break the five loaves among 5,000, and if we started uh, down from this, but back in verse 9, we realize the context of this is what we call the feeding of the 4,000. So, yes, there are two different similar events where Jesus feeds the multitudes. This is the 4,000. This is the second occurrence because he's referencing the previous one that is the more famous one, verse 19, about the feeding of the 5,000. When I break the five loaves among 5,000, how many basketful fragments took ye up? Pause. They say unto him, 12. And when the seven among 4,000, how many baskets full fragments took ye up? And they said, seven. And he said unto them, how is it that you do not, what? Understand. Why don't you understand? I don't know if the Lord had an incredulous tone or not. He certainly would have a right to have that kind of spirit with them. But what is going on here? Let me just make sure we understand this. This is the event of the feeding of the 4,000, and it's showing its significance most after a later encounter with the Pharisees and the Sadducees who were very purposely skeptical of Jesus. Of course, they were very adamant not to follow Jesus. This was to be expected. Why? Because those Pharisees and Sadducees didn't have the right motive when it came to their spiritual lives. We could really say it was all about them more than anything else, rather than really seeking to honor God. They simply used their superficial religion as a, a means to gain influence over the people. And we, and we see this, even as we're going through Acts on Sundays, we're seeing this, how the religious leaders don't really always seek for the truth. Yeah, do I want to know? Do I want to hear the, this? It might lead me to an inconvenient conclusion. And so, surprisingly, pride can still drive a great deal of religious activity. Mark it down. There's a lot of pride that is driving religious activity, but it doesn't mean it's God-honoring religious activity. The disciples, on the other hand, were very sincere seekers of the truth. They're, they're not in the same camp as the Pharisees and the Sadducees. At, at their heart, they, I believe they demonstrate throughout the Gospels that they, they want the truth, at least in, in a basic sense. But that doesn't mean that they aren't incapable of slipping spiritually. It doesn't mean that they won't have moments where they show real spiritual dullness of mind. This is definitely one of them, clearly. 
And so the stern warning that Christ gives in verse 15, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Well, we can sort of feel for them because they're all caught up on the topic of bread. They're thinking, there's one loaf, we didn't bring enough, you know, uh, provision. Uh, we should have known better based upon the, the other feeding. We, we were caught short. And we were relying on this little boy. And now he's, Jesus is making a statement and he uses what key word in that warning that connects with bread? Leaven, yeast, right? So we can sort of understand their thinking. Leaven, bread, dough, okay, that makes sense. Here is the, the application to God's people, though. We live today within a society that is very hostile to people that have pure devotion to the Son of God. Now, even though we live in America, and even though we may live in the Bible Belt, people are perfectly fine if you have religion. Just don't get carried away. Don't go overboard. And, and, and how do we know that? Because they, they want us to be very... Uh, ecumenical word simply meaning embrace everybody treat every religion on the same level don't don't point out the differences as if one's better than the other that would border on hate speech if you started to do that there's another word we sometimes use called syncretism and the in the prefix sin s-y-n having an idea of togetherness and and that's that's really what you hear a lot of let's 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 put down our distinctions and our differences and let's just focus on what we have in common well you know the main thing that we tout is salvation by grace alone through faith alone and many other religions want to enter in a a reference or a system that involves human merit and moralism and of course we realize no that's we can't just give that a pass we can't just say well that's there that's the way they think that's the way we think we can come together no it's that's teaching another gospel and so people will look at a church like ours where we're saying yeah we are going to split those hairs and we're not going to fudge on that because that is the essence of why christ came and gave himself even churches and clergy manifest an uncanny ability to pervert spiritual teaching to fit the lifestyles of just about anyone today. In other words, it becomes more man-centered. And why, how do we know that? Because churches that have had a certain doctrine and time goes by and society shifts and culture begins to decay and they have to make an adjustment. Well, they don't have to. They ought to go back and say, but God hasn't changed. And we're here primarily to focus on what God wants. But it reveals that they're more man-centered because they keep changing their positions on things so that they don't seem out of step with society. That shows a wrong spirit. Truth, some people can seem amazingly elastic when you have a self-agenda as the motivation. Well, that's what we believed last year. That was truth ten years ago. You know, I'm pretty sure truth is truth. God doesn't change. The questions that Jesus asked his disciples reveal what they needed to have was real understanding. They, they needed this understanding. Did they need to go to school to get this? 
Well, no doubt they needed instruction from God's Word. They're going to need that comforter that Jesus is going to talk to them about. And the question is, what in this text shows us about what we need to be looking for in our lives or be alerted to if we don't see it in our lives so that we don't fall into this same problem of lacking spiritual understanding? And I'm just going to give you a couple of these things tonight that I see from the text. The first thing is what I call spiritual apprehension. Now, when you hear the word apprehension, that can, be, that can go two ways. When we're apprehensive about something, it sounds like we're scared of it. But to apprehend something means to embrace it, and that's the meaning that I'm using here. This, the ability for us to spiritually really to grasp something. And so it is the idea of capturing something. And it also involves the ability to make correct selections. It's not just a matter of grabbing whatever. It's a matter of grabbing the right things, right? I mean, anybody can go out there and get an armful of, of, of doctrine, but are you getting the right doctrine? You can, you can get persuasions about certain things, but are you being rightly persuaded? And that's the key thing here. You know, a police officer's job is to go out and apprehend certain kinds of people. But he doesn't go out and say, well, I've got a quota to meet, so there's a guy, I'll just grab him. No, he, he might say, well, I've got to have a good reason. I need to have a correct apprehension here. I ran his plates, okay? And, uh, you know, he's got a warrant out for his arrest or something like that based on his plates. And, or there's something wrong with the car. You know, the plates are registered to, you know, a you know, 2005 Dodge, but it's on a 2013 Toyota. I better pull him over. So he's making correct selections as he is trying to apprehend the person. So Jesus asked the, a question of the disciples along this line. He says, perceive ye not yet, neither understand. He's getting to the issue of their apprehension or their ability to make correct choices. They obviously were not capturing the correct truth of what Jesus was saying when he said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. They went into a, an entirely different train of thought. They heard the parable of the leaven, but it could have different meanings. The, the meaning they chose is a feasible one. Yeah, leaven, bread, okay. But, and maybe they thought something like this. Jesus knows we need provisions, physical provisions. But he doesn't want us to purchase the bread the loaves from the Pharisees. You know, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Maybe they use tainted leaven. They have bad yeast, okay? I don't know what they thought when he said that, but they definitely went to physical bread. Now, it is dangerous when we go to the Scripture to allegorize. In other words, to impose a, 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 a mystical or a spiritual meaning to to everything that's in the text. There are some people out there that do that, and that's very dangerous. You know, people try to say, well, you know, Samson always represents this, and Egypt always represents this, and, and we understand that there, there can be some representations, but we, we have to be careful about imposing that over and over again where the Scripture isn't clear that there's something here that's talking about that. 
Well, their problem here is Jesus was using something that was of a spiritual significance. And they went very literal here and therefore missed out on it. So what do we see in Scripture that uses the same idea? Remember Nicodemus? Very similar, right? Nicodemus, you must be what? Born again. How did Nicodemus take that? Did he take it with a spiritual significance or a literal uh, physical significance? Yeah, literal physical. Wait, I'm an old man. How can I go back into my mother's womb and be born a second time? I mean, that's, I can't grasp that. Of course you can't, Nicodemus, because that wasn't what I was talking about at all. I was talking about of a spiritual birth, being born of the Spirit and of the water. Jesus said to his disciples in John 6, 56, remember this one, if you're going to be my follower, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now that's a staggering picture, isn't it? Well, are we thinking that Christ is, is, is somehow advancing cannibalism here? Of course not. He's using it in a spiritual way. And so we understand. Read the text, understand what's being said there, and then interpret it based on that. You know, as you study the Word, the question is, are you capturing the reason it was written? Why did the Holy Spirit pen this? Why is this in the Bible? Because I know that God didn't just put anything in here. He was selective. Everything that has been given to me is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. That includes those genealogies, by the way, though we sometimes scratch our heads. Why, Lord? Okay, There are spiritual lessons to be learned from those without necessarily trying to dissect every single name there and try to give a spiritual significance to every name, but just the presence of those, those names may show the faithfulness of God throughout a generation of people. But that's what we have to do as individuals today to make sure that we have spiritual apprehension. Holy Spirit, Lord, why did you put this in my Bible? There's also a need to consider the lessons of life. Just as events are happening around the disciples and they were intended to shape their thinking, right? You can see that. I know what God's doing here. He's putting them this spot so they'll learn a very specific lesson. Guess what? He still does that today with us, doesn't he? Sometimes we don't see it when we're in the midst of it, but we step over here, you know, a day later, and we're looking back and it's like, all right, Lord, I see what you did there. You know, I needed that. In fact, I didn't even realize it, but I even prayed along those lines just, you know, four days before that. And was, was I alert enough to realize I'm being taught this lesson right now? No. It took me a day later to wake up in the morning and it's like, I got it. The Lord puts us in His providence in those kinds of situations. They might be very infuriating and frustrating and aggravating at the time. You step back and say, okay, Lord, why is this happening? Why are you letting these, quote, problems and these tribulations face come to my life? Do we not need to incorporate some of Job and Joseph into our lives? Do you understand what I'm saying about that? Because both of those men are stories that teach us there's a lot that's going on behind the scenes. And don't get so frustrated and aggravated with looking at just the here and now. But ask yourself, 
in God's scheme of things, what's the big picture? We've got to do that. We, have, we need spiritual apprehension to do that. Now, the question is, okay, I might have that problem you might be thinking right now. I'm not, I'm not sure I always get it. I'm kind of like these guys way too often. Why am I not sharper in my spiritual apprehension? And that is because, number two, we must also engage in spiritual association. So spiritual apprehension, but also spiritual association. That's needed. Well, what, what am I talking about when I say that? Look at the second part of verse 18 here. He asked the question, the very last question of the verse is, and do ye what? Not remember. You know, I, I have a horrible memory, I, you know, I feel like, and I, I, I regret. I, I sort of battle envy when it comes to getting around people that have amazing memories. I can walk away from a conversation, and my wife will say, you know, I, I was over here, what did they say? And I'm like, something? Okay? I'm like, man, what do I need to be eating, Lord? Beets or something? It's just not working, you know? You know, and, I, and I'm sure there's lessons that, you know, events in my life, and I find myself, and it's almost like the Lord saying, all right, Carl, I think we were here a couple of years ago, okay? Don't you remember, you know? The Lord reminds, and sometimes all it takes is, do you not remember, that realize I'm supposed to remember something, and then it clicks. Oh, now I remember, okay? So when Jesus asked this question, this was perhaps a reference to everything that has happened since they began to walk with him. I mean, we need to at least consider that possibility because he doesn't define the parameters of remember, right? He doesn't say, don't you remember the previous miracle? He just says, don't you remember? And there's a whole lot that they've been taught. And, and you know what? It is important to stop and meditate on everything that God has taught us throughout our lifetime, from time to time, and, and, and bring it back up to regurgitate it in our minds. But I think that Jesus is putting a special emphasis on the most recent events. And maybe that's why he's sounding a little exasperated in the text. Do you not remember? I mean, it hasn't been that long, guys. And there's a lot of parallelism here. And the comparison of these two events, and by the two events I'm talking about feeding of the 4,000 and the feeding of the what? 5,000. Okay? First of all, people were eating, right? Okay? Um... He was able to repeat the miracle very similarly to the first. So that should have been some clicking and some associating. Okay, you know, the minute they're there, it's like, hey, I think we've been here before, guys. All right? And I'm not suggesting that they were that dense that they, they didn't even meet. It's like saying, oh, here we go again. There are some differences, though. Uh, in this case, the people were present for three days, not one day according to verse 2. We didn't go back and read the story of the feeding of the 4,000, but verse 2 tells us, Mark 8, verse 2, that they were with him for three days, where the feeding of the 5,000, they'd just been there a day. They're really hungry people, probably. Maybe they had some vittles and they ran out. We're not for sure. But there's that difference. Where, what food was served to the multitudes when the 5,000 was served? 
what source did that come from? A little boy's lunch, right? But that's not the case here, okay? According to verse 5, it was the disciples, okay? They had something with them on that particular occasion. Maybe just not what they would have equated as enough. And there is no mention of soft grass on which the, the crowd was commanded to seat, like Jesus told them the first time, have them to sit down. Here in verse 6, you know, they don't have that necessarily in this case. And yet also, though he had more loaves for fewer people on this occasion, he's feeding how many thousand now? This occasion it's 4,000. You think it's backwards. The bigger number is the first event. The, the smaller number is the second event. How many loaves did the little boy have for the 5,000? Five. How many loaves do they have for the 4,000? Seven. You'll be great at Bible trivia, right? Okay. But he also had more leftovers on this second event. The word in basket in verse 19 refers to something like a, um, a lunchbox, okay? Uh, or I'm going back to uh, the story of the, the little boy's lunch. He had, a, he had like a little lunchbox. But the basket that's talked about in verse 20 of this, uh, where we've read tonight, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up on this occasion, is more of the idea of a hamper. There are two different Greek words behind it. Okay, and you know, I don't know what a hamper looked like back to them, but the same word that's behind what the leftovers were taken up in the second miracle is also used in Acts 9.25 when it was used to conceal a man. Remember? You put, a, put Paul in there, you can put a lot of leftover bread. Can we say it that way? And so... There's enough differences. In, in fact, one uh, non-biblical source of papyri that dates back to close to the same time, about the 2nd century A.D., suggests that the, the leftovers in that hamper could have been as many as 50 loaves worth of bread. Okay? And then we started out with seven. So again, I mean, Jesus could have mimicked the second miracle to be identical to the first and it would have had a wow factor but jesus is doing switching it up enough because he's he's trying to teach a bigger lesson recalling the events was obviously not enough he's saying this to the men and they're and the light's still not clicking on they had to connect the significance of the former two events and apply the present circumstance that they find themselves in and even though everything involved bread, that was not the spiritual significance. It didn't come down to, you know, uh, a, a loaf that we put in our mouth. And think about the, the mindset that the world and lost people have, or even Christians that are not spiritually minded. I take you back to the story of Jesus being tempted. One of the temptations is, Jesus is hungry. He hadn't eaten physical bread. Satan comes to him, and he challenges him. Turn the rocks into what? Bread. What does Jesus do? He changes it from a physical bread to talk about spiritual bread. You know? And, and you know, 
I need to eat the Word of God. That's the more important thing. What was he teaching? Physical bread is not a concern for God. If God needs bread to feed people, he can make bread. Jesus could have turned those rocks in the wilderness into bread. But he wasn't there to turn it into bread. He was there to withstand and to show himself standing against the temptations of the wicked one. And we ought to, to work for what we get. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 You know, if a man doesn't work, neither should he eat. But we also shouldn't be derelict about our duty, thinking, well, you know, the Lord will just give me bread. No, we ought to work. But at the same time, I don't need to be stressed over it. Be careful for nothing. But do what? Pray for our daily bread. So should I work for my physical bread? Yes. Should I stress over my physical bread? No. Why? Because we understand the spiritual significance in our walk with the Lord, and that's the main thing, even when we're talking about physical bread. What Jesus really wants to do is warn his disciples about the subtle, pervasive influence that the Sadducees and the Pharisees had. Because that's what the leaven illustrates. You put a little bit of leaven into a big pot of dough, and it permeates, and it causes it to rise, you know, and you punch it back down, and it rises back up, and you, know, and you get this nice, fluffy loaf bread. Why? Because just a little bit of leaven was probably the smallest ingredient of anything that went into that, and yet it affected the entire loaf. And that's what he's trying to teach them. Jesus ends up dropping this lesson for the time about trying to identify the nuance of leaven here as being spiritual. He doesn't clarify for it at this particular time. No, guys, I'm talking about their spiritual influence on you. He could have done that, but he doesn't do that. Why? Because... As important as understanding bad spiritual influence is, because that's what he was trying to communicate, beware of their bad spiritual influence. And that is a lesson they need to know. But he realizes, I need to work on something else even more basic than that, and that's spiritual insight. And that's what they didn't have right now. And that was of a greater importance. Why? Because there was a third quality that was needed, and that's what I call spiritual acuity. Notice where he says to them, Are you having eyes and see ye not? Having ears and ye hear not? He's not again speaking about the physical senses, is he? In other words, the words are going into your ears, but you're really not listening with discernment. And you're watching these lessons. You're getting a chance like no one else will have to witness these miracles but you're not connected, the dots are not connecting in your head about the conclusions you ought to be really drawing from this. He's not speaking about alertness, like they fell asleep, because they'd be like, I'm pretty sure we heard what he said, right? That's not what he's getting at here. You know, but instead, it's more like pay attention. Have you ever had this happen where someone has has been talking to for a while and they said did you hear what i said and and you can pair it back but basically everything that they said back to you you're like yeah but did you understand what i was saying no i didn't get it <laughs> right and and there might be a, there's a lot of reasons you know there are words that are being used there's concepts that we're not acquainted with 
we kind of mind drift a little bit sometimes when people are talking, okay? And we really have to, even when we're talking about just a secular subject, we have to apply our minds to think about, okay, they're telling me this, why are they telling me this, okay? Husbands, we really need to pay attention to this. My wife is talking, so I'm pretty sure I should be listening right now. And she just said something that must have been important, and I'm wondering what she really means by that, okay? But, you know, it isn't just a matter of us trying harder when it comes to a spiritual thing like this. Spiritual acuity is either provided by or restricted by God. In other words, if you've got it, it's God-given. And if you don't, it's because God hasn't given it to you. Remember the verse I referenced on Sunday? You know, about Peter. Oh, you are the Son of God. You know, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, yeah, blessed are you. Flesh and blood didn't help you figure that out, Peter. My Father. What's he getting at? Spiritual acuity. Spiritual acuity only comes from a divine source. Spiritual acuity that can be pulled back is talked about in Romans 11.8. God, it says in that verse, hath given them, referring to Israel, the seed of Abraham, that rejected Jesus. God hath given them the spirit of slumber. Do we picture that they're all laying out, you know, snoring somewhere? No. They're dull in their minds. They're not getting it. Eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear. That shows intent by the hand of God. God was removing their spiritual acuity. Why? Because they had refused to be faithful to the truth that God had given to them. God's not going to bless you with more truth when you snub your nose at the truth that He's already given you. You harden yourself to God, God will help you out in that process. So in John, in John 6, 58, when Jesus said that he was the bread that came down from heaven, which if ye eat, ye shall live forevermore, hopefully you understand we're not picturing a loaf of bread, we're picturing this Jesus. And spiritually, we're absorbing him in our lives. And how do we do that? Through his word through our walk with Him, through our prayer with Him. But how is it that we get that? You know, there are people out there that put a literal significance as if they're actually consuming Jesus. You know, they don't picture flesh in their teeth, but they somehow say, well, the bread that you're eating is literally being transformed to the flesh of Christ, even though it doesn't taste like meat. It is under the surface of it it really is the body of jesus christ why do we think that way because there's a lack of spiritual acuity there has been a refusal to accept some truth about god whatever it might have been or his truth and therefore there's a blindness and god's not giving to them just like he held back from israel and then lastly we see the spiritual absorption the question that he asked at the very end that we looked at, have ye your heart yet hardened? Hardness of heart. We hear that concept a lot in Scripture, don't we? You ever stop and think about what that really signifies? Well, I always go back to the parable of the sower, right? Even though that reference is used in Scripture before Jesus uses that parable. But why does ground get hard? We say, well, partly... It's the foot traffic. You know, if you walk over ground, even if it was soft at one time, it gets packed down, okay? 
and there may not be any intentionality. No one goes over and says, I want that to be hard ground, so I'm going to purposely walk back and forth several times to pack that down. You know, we, we've all been in parks or uh, shopping centers, and there's, and there's uh, you know, sidewalks here and stuff like that, and then you see, here's mulch, and then there's this place where people have been too lazy to walk down to the island and take the sidewalk, and they've, they've you know, pushed the bushes aside through the path because they're going to go this way. It's closer to get to coals that way than it is to walk you know, three yards around. Now, no one said, I want hard dirt right here. But people just, it became a product of their daily activity. And it got hardened. Then there was the sunshine coming down, the heat hitting it, you know, with the combination of rain and, and just the weather circumstances. Now, heat's good. Sun's good. It makes the plants grow. But you put in a different combination of things, it can also harden things. Guess what? Preaching of the Word of God is good. But you know what? We know from Scripture that the preaching of the Word sometimes hardens other people's hearts. They, be, they become bitter. They become enraged at it. Why? Because they don't have a spiritual absorption. Now Jesus is trying to teach this to people that we would sort of identify as Christians, even though they're not called that right now. They're followers of Jesus. And so we need to not take these teachings and say, well, this applies completely to someone else other than me. Truth of the matter is, we can all become spiritually dull, and hardened, and indifferent. And we need to be on guard, I think, is the big lesson here about all this. You say, but it sounds like you're saying this is a work of God. So what do I do about that? Well, if anybody lacks wisdom, let him pray. And these men lack wisdom. And I find myself not questioned about leaven of the Pharisees, but other things, and I'm thinking, Lord, am I really getting your meaning? Am I really sensing the direction of the Holy Spirit? I don't want to let my preconceived ideas cause me to just ignore the truth that you really have for me here. And so the question is, and we might ask ourselves the question as if we were hearing it from the voice of God from time to time, do I really understand? And I would challenge you to ask that question to yourself. Even when you think you've got it, lest we become mentally complacent, Spiritually arrogant to a degree. Apathetic. Say, Lord, do I really understand? I mean, I want to have a, a peace in my heart that, yes, this is what, and you know what? The Holy Spirit will show you. You will have a peace in your heart. There will be a, joy, there will be a sense of, yes, this is the full encompassing truth of what I'm supposed to be getting as I'm reading this text from this lesson that I'm experiencing in my life. This, this is what it's about. I'm not just trying to, you know, push it to the side. No, why did you let this happen, Lord? Why did this day go the way it did? Why did that person come into my life at the time that they did? Is there a significance there? What would you have me to learn? How would you want me to grow from this? And so, you know, isn't it easy to look at a story like this and just like, boy, these guys, I don't know how the Lord ever put up with them. I think the more we read it and think about it, we realize, Lord, is it I? Is this me? I'm pretty sure I am that sometimes. 
Lord, I, give me guidance. Help me not to be presumptuous. Help me not to be rash. Help me go to your word and say, Lord, open your truth to me. Show me wondrous things out of your law. God wants to guide us in truth. We have to be ready to accept it. Amen? Father in heaven, thank you for your truth. Lord, may we learn from the lessons that you'd have for us tonight about real spiritual understanding. As we read our Bibles and as we go through our daily life experiences, may we have that joyous understanding that you are teaching us each step we take. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.